Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellinus Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with an incredibly special guest, Gabriel Amado of BN Sports and Orlando City. How are you doing, Gabriel? Hi, Zach. I am uh, doing very well. I'm thrilled to be on uh, the podcast, so thanks for the invite, and I'm looking forward to it. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background? I know you're from New Jersey and working at both BN and Orlando City. Um, you have a really complex and impressive resume so far. I wouldn't say that you're so much a rising star as you are a superstar. I mean, this is really one of the biggest hosts right now in terms of football content in the United States. So super excited to have you on. Wow, I'm glad that you got my check to say all of those nice things about me. The payment went through. <laughs> um, no, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've had a pretty interesting rise. I would definitely still say that I'm rising. I don't think that I've reached any kind of you know climax in my career, or or you know, I'm I'm not where I want to be quite yet. But thank you very much for the kind words. Um, just to kind of take you back. Um, to where I'm from and, and how this journey has been for me. Uh, yeah, just like you said, I'm from New Jersey, born in New Jersey to Portuguese parents. Uh, so both of my parents were born in Portugal. My entire family is Portuguese. And so from a really young age, I decided uh, that I really liked soccer, obviously, as anyone who's Portuguese will know. Uh, you are born either a Spartan fan, a Benfica fan, a Porto fan. You're, you don't have a decision. It, the decision is made for you. And so I came out of the womb uh, as a Spartanista. And so weekends were all about watching uh, soccer and Formula One, but uh, soccer all around Europe. So yeah, that's what I grew up with. So I fell in love with the sport. I was horrible at playing it, not good at all, but I was really good at talking about it. And so I decided that I wanted to be a sports journalist primarily with a focus on soccer. I wanted to go to Syracuse University because it's one of the best communication schools in the country. I'll say it's the best, but I'm a little biased. And so I did get into Syracuse and that's kind of where it all uh, began. I wanted to work for BN Sports, who five years ago was kind of the place to be in covering European soccer. I started as an intern um, and paved a really unique path. Uh, i don't think a lot of people would have thought that where I started, uh, it was possible to get to where I am today. Uh, but it was a really natural rise. I was a production assistant. Then I was writing my own pieces. Then I was able to voice them. Then I was going on trips as a producer uh, out in the field. Then I was sent as a reporter on a lot of assignments. And now I am the host of the weekend recap show. So it's it's been a whirlwind, but I've enjoyed the ride thoroughly. And yeah, just like you said, um, I'm also at the Orlando City Sideline Reporter, a new position that I am absolutely loving. Uh, Orlando City are having a sensational season. It's going to be a really exciting campaign to watch unfold. And yeah, that's actually something that I just started back in March, I guess you can say. Uh, and this is a new adventure for me because obviously uh, in my career, I've covered primarily European soccer. So this is a chance for me to break into what's going on right here in our backyard. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying that too. Yeah, it's amazing to have you on. It's been great to hear you on BN over these past few years. I'm upset that this isn't more of a wide-reaching podcast because I can see <laughs> a lot more questions uh, such as, you know, Benzema's return to the national team. So oh, man. Report switching over to Spain. But we've got a lot of stuff to get into anyways. But uh, just quickly, talk to me about this past weekend. I mean, absolutely insane in terms of the La Liga and League 1 title race coming down to the final wire. Uh, just insane. 
it, it really was just insane. It was the perfect ending uh, in both of those campaigns to what was a mental season uh, across the board. I mean, for Atletico Madrid, I think that they were obviously deserved champions, much similarly to the way that Sporting season unfolded. They had such a gap at the top of the table that dwindled as the weeks went on and you you were really, you, you were concerned for them. You were like, is this really going to happen? Are Real Madrid going to come and, and swoop the title? And fortunately for uh, Los Colchoneros, that didn't happen. But it was a really thrilling season. And and then over in Liga, I mean, a historic one. It was so nice to see someone other than PSG uh, and, of course, Monaco, who were the last team other than PSG to win the title, do it. I mean, Lille really... I'm speechless about what Lille accomplished uh, and what Christophe Galtier was able to get out of these men. I mean, just like you said, we could really have a whole podcast just <laughs> on Lille and just on Atleti, um, but I know we're going to get to other topics. But both of those campaigns, the perfect ending to what was a, a great season. And honestly, a reminder to everyone who calls Liga especially a farmer's league and all of the negative press that it gets. If you still, if that is still your opinion of the league, you simply are not watching it. And I just won't have it. <laughs> yeah. If you call league in uh, a farmer's league, you, you are a lost. You're cause. just wrong. You're a lost cause. I, I hate yeah. to say it, but you're a lost cause. Two just insane title races coming down to the wire that BN I thought did a great job of covering um, as we know, Bien's rights with La Liga is coming to an end, which, you know, is really a shame because they've done a fantastic job covering it. And uh, I'm going to miss their coverage. But with that being said, if there's anything you want to go out on, it's it's this. Like you, I mean, this was an incredible final season to go out, I think, for Bien. Um, so, you it know, certainly shame, was. shame to see it go. But uh, I'm excited to see what Bean can do with, with more uh, time to show League Un games because, you know, uh, when one door closes, another door opens. And uh, who knows, maybe, maybe they will end up replacing it with their uh, Iberian cousin in, in Liga Noche. I think that would be a fantastic thing for Portuguese football just to have uh, you guys covering it. From your words to God's ears. I would love that also. But we'll see kind of what happens. But yeah, just like you said, um, I mean, I've been covering La Liga for five years. And it was this was definitely uh, my favorite campaign to cover. So many storylines. I mean, we didn't even touch on Luis Suarez and, and you know, how he's kind of thrown out the door by Barcelona, goes to Atleti and just smashes it. Yeah, it really was the perfect um, ending to what was, I think, a great chapter for BN Sports and, and their La Liga coverage. And yeah, just like you said, um, it now gives us the opportunity to shine a light on Liga, which, like I said, I think was hands down one of the best title races in all of Europe this season. And for those people out there who perhaps didn't watch it as closely as you and I did, Zach, they definitely missed out. Uh, and hopefully they'll, they'll pay more attention uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, as much as I loved watching Liga Noche down the stretch, I would argue that it was the best title race in Europe. Uh, just so much action and Lille getting a... Massive victory. In my opinion, the biggest upset, you know, achievement since Leicester's Premier League triumph. I mean, to go against the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and Verratti and, you know, end up taking the crown with so much t turmoil in that club this year, just absolutely incredible. It's a shame that barely 48 hours have passed and we we've already got Christophe Gaultier about to leave uh, for Nice, as it seems, yeah. with Sumare set to join 
uh, Leicester and Mike Mignon as well to Milan, unfortunately. But, but I think that just goes to show you how much of an accomplishment this was. And, uh, you know, made with a bit of a, a Portuguese flair, shall we say. I definitely. <laughs> Luis Campos, the sporting director who, of course, built that phenomenal Monaco team that won before leaving before he could see them win the title, uh, whereas doing the exact same thing with Lille, right? Building up this phenomenal side and then leaving midway through the season, arguably the best, in my opinion, the best sporting director uh, in the land and, you know, made in Portugal. And a lot of this Lille team as well, I'm not saying it was all Campos is doing, but you've got guys like Jose Font, the captain, who, of course, has had some phenomenal performances for the Selkow over the years. Tiago Jalo, the youngster from Sporting's Academy, coming in to Lille. He hasn't quite broken into the starting lineup, but uh, he had an absolutely massive performance in April in that all-decisive clash between Lille and PSG, going up against Neymar, playing out of position, and completely shutting him down. Uh, yeah, and he had another one this weekend against Angers with Joseph Font out, suspended. He actually slotted into that back line uh, alongside Botman, and, and he did exceptionally well, too. But yeah, you're spot on. I mean, in highlighting Luis Campos, I think he deserves all of the credit that you're giving at him and more. You just highlighted, you know, some players who are going to be leaving Lille this summer. It's very similar to what happened with Monaco in, in that title winning team. You know, that following summer, they were kind of taken apart. So it'll be interesting to see what this Lille team looks like, especially now in the Champions League next season. And of course, like you said, without Christophe Galtier, I, I mean... He kind of highlighted Lille and, and how they were able to shut down PSG, obviously the favorites to always win the league on title. But for me, too, it was really impressive the way that Lyon completely fell out of the picture, especially taking into account the players that they had and they were able to hold on to this season. For me, it was kind of like a last hurrah for a lot of those players to try and get stuff done in Ligue 1. And for Lille to win it over PSG, over Lyon, and over a resurgent Monaco, especially in 2021, I, I mean, it's just, there, there's a lot to get to there, but it, it was massively impressive. Yeah, Lyon uh, definitely, I think, surpassed my expectations and, you know, have mounting a pretty impressive title challenge thanks to Memphis, Depay. Right. What a phenomenal season he has had. And another Headed to Barcelona, probably. Maybe. We'll see. Um, <laughs> and Monaco, of course, you know, incredible that they've been uh, arguably the second best team in Europe in 2021. And if, uh-huh. if uh, Villarreal beat Manchester United tonight uh, in the Europa League final in Gdansk, uh, they're going to have to be playing their way in for the Champions League group stage. A bit similar to what we saw, I think, with Ajax uh, previously, but it's a shame because they've had a fantastic season under Niko Kovac, and I hope that they keep on building. But yes, definitely you have a Turkish feel to it, which I know obviously Ian covers the Super League, but not not that Super League, the, the good Super League, shall we say, in Turkey. So definitely a Turkish flair as well. But uh, in terms of the makeup of the squad, you know, you have just... Uh, 
uh, you have Sheka, who hasn't played it quite as much as, you know, Benjamin Andre or Bubakari Samari, but still been a valuable rotational option, as well as, you know, starting uh, since joining from Braga. You have uh, Renato Sanchez, probably the, the biggest star of the bunch. And even Reinildo, who is uh, a Mozambican international, but came from Portugal, came from, I believe it was uh, Belenenche. Um, mm-hmm. and has been one of the more underrated heroes of this team since, you know, benching Domagoj Bradaric, really just kind of unbeatable on 1v1 duels. Talk to me about this Portuguese contingent of Lille, including including Heimildo. Um, what, what have you made of it? I mean, t- to be honest, I think that without a resurgent Renato Sanchez, with which Christophe Galtier, I mean, people looking at Renato Sanchez's numbers, they're not going to be overly impressed. And that's why I highlight once again that people really need to be watching Liga because the stats don't paint the full picture. Christophe Galtier was able to get Renato Sanchez back to the player that we all expected him to be. And again, and that's not shown in his goals or assists, but it, it's shown in everything else that he does on the pitch. And for me, that was one of the highlights as a Portuguese fan, uh, as someone who has watched Renato Sanchez since he was obviously very, very young. And as someone who's looking ahead to the Euro, that was really key for me. And then again, Reynaldo, yeah, I mean, he was key, but for me, no one else was more key than José Font and Renato Sanchez. For me, those, those two were really something else. And, and especially Joseph Font. I mean, I talked about this uh, on the show when we covered this. I mean, this is his first league title ever in his career at 37 years old. He captained this side. I, I think that, and, and similar to what we saw also bringing parallels back with Sparting, um, how key Kwatej was for Sparting, to me, it's equivalent to how key Joseph Font was uh, for Lille. So again, as a Portuguese citizen looking ahead to the Euro, uh, those two for me, Josef Font and Renato Sanchez, were, were absolutely monumental for Lille. And I think they'll be monumental for Portugal in the Euro, too. Yeah, Renato Sanchez, definitely agree with what you said. If you just look at his numbers, they're not that impressive. But he is so important for this Lille team. Just in terms of so many times, Lille really struggled when breaking down deep blocks. And I think that's one thing that, that I noticed. Teams would try to sit back and force them to break them down. And they just didn't really have much in the way of creative players to do so. And I, I think that Renato Sanchez, his ability to, you know, take on players, uh, to pick a pass and to really, you know, break the lines. So important uh, for this Lille team. We saw it in the final match um, against Angers, you know, creating so many genuine opportunities. So I really hope that he stays. And yeah, as you said, Jose Font, what a legendary career he's had. And to do it while playing alongside a guy, Sven Botman, who's about 15 years younger, I think. Uh, yeah. Just pretty incredible. And um, Font, I mean, it, it's so nice to see guys who have been really underrated for so long and who haven't perhaps had the achievements to go along with their abilities, such as, you know, Burak Yilmaz and, and Jose Font and Benjamin Andre, you know, finally getting one of the just craziest upset achievements in recent years. It's just, it's just so impressive. Yeah. And you brought, and you brought up Jalo too, who, uh, who I'm excited to watch unfold. Yeah. I mean, he, he signed a long-term deal with Lille, so he's going to be here for a while. I think he has a lot of prospects and I think what's been missing for him is just consistent playing time. 
time. And so, you know, towards the latter end of the season, I mean, midway point of the season, he started to get a little bit more uh, of that consistent playing time. Obviously, when you have Sven Botman and Joseph Font just absolutely bombing it in the back, it's difficult to break in. But I'm interested to see uh, and watch his career kind of unfold because I do think that there's, you know, he, he's definitely a star in the making. So we just have to give him some time. He's still so young. <laughs> He is still young. Yeah, Jalo actually getting into uh, the Portuguese U21 squad for the yes. upcoming U21 Euros, which, like, we joke that that this is, uh, this is a 24-7 thing, you know, but it really is. Like, the season's not even over yet. Champions League final's still in a few days, and yet U21 Euros is literally right around the corner. But I'm almost excited as, to, to see that as I am the actual Euros, just because this Portugal team been so amazing seeing these guys have been for the most part, playing alongside each other for the past six years. They won the U-17 Euros in 2016. They won the U-19 Euros in 2018. Now they have a shot to complete the trifecta in 2021 with the U-21 Euros. And this, it's kind of bittersweet because this is the, the last time that most of these guys are going to be playing with each other. Yeah, it's just crazy because when you look at the U-21 team on paper, they're so unbelievable, so many stars in the making on that. And then you look at the Euro 2020 squad, and it's also a mental list. I mean, on paper, I think that Portugal are one of the strongest teams player for player uh, in the entire tournament. I would only say really that France probably outranks them in terms of that. But you have players who are top, top players in the top European teams ac across the continent. I mean, without these individual players, we're talking, you know, Bruno Fernandes, um, Ruben Dias, uh, your uh, teams like Manchester City, Manchester United, do not get to where they got to this season without them. And so when you look at that list and then you look at the U21 list, we literally could make two or three squads that would be in the running to win anything, I think. It's a very exciting time to be Portuguese. <laughs> it is. I can't say that I'm not Portuguese, but I, it is. <laughs> I feel like you're Portuguese by heart. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I, sure, you're I, not a citizen in the making. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, stay tuned. We'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, just watching them in the three group stage matches where I believe they didn't concede a single goal. Maybe they conceded like one goal and, and uh, you know, won all three of their games. It was honestly like watching like Pep's Barcelona, like the, the Pep's Barcelona of youth teams. Like this is how good this team plays. It's just a joy to watch them play football. And what's crazy is a lot of players who probably should have been called up to this team, in my opinion, did not get called up. Gonzalo Inacio uh, starting for... Uh, sporting, which are, you know, the best defense in Europe's top 10 leagues, I, right. uh, you know, playing on the right side of the back three, he didn't get called up. Okay. Uh, Hui George going with three center backs with uh, Thiago Jallo as a backup for Diogo Leite and Diogo Queiroz, who have obviously been playing together uh, for quite some time, both for, in terms of Porto's youth teams as well as Portugal's youth teams. One gripe that I have had with Hui George is his thing with like calling up so many right backs. I don't know what you think about it, but like Pedro Pereira, Pieri Correa, Tomas Tavares, Diogo Dalot. Obviously, Dalot has played 
at left back, but still more of a natural right back. And we actually did see uh, Francisco Trincao and uh, Thierry Correa drop out of the squad due to COVID um, and replaced by the modern age duo of Abdu Conte and uh, Felipe Suarez. So it's, it's an interesting one because personally, I think that Hubin Vinagre deserves to be in. I think that he's a better left back than anybody else in Portugal's squad. And for me, I like Conte a lot, but I, I think that Vinagre has done very well at Famalicão and deserves to be in the squad. And you, you also have the likes of, you know, Fabio Silva, uh, who hasn't had the best of seasons uh, at Wolves, but still a, a very promising player. So he could have easily been in that squad. And, you know, even guys like Mateus Nunes on, on Sporting. So really so much, uh, so many players who, who could have easily been there. But I love this midfield, I got to say. I mean, having Daniel Braganza, Fabio Vieira, Florentino Luis Jetson, Fernandes, and, and now, and of course, Romario Baro and Vitinha. It's just a majestic midfield. And in attack, you have Dani Mota, Felipe Suarez replacing Trincao, Francisco Conceição, Gonzalo Ramos, uh, João Felipe, Rafael Leal, and Thiago Tomás. So, pretty stacked squad, to say the least. Are there any players that you think should have been in or that, that weren't? I mean, that's the problem that you that we're always going to encounter is when you have so much talent making these lists. I mean, even when we look at over the list that Fernand Sanch made, you know, we, there's shouts for, for players who definitely could have been included. I think, like you said, it's a solid squad. Uh, I'm really interested to watch how they all play and, and, and how this all moves forward because, to be completely honest, I mean, we spoke about La Liga, Liga, the Turkish Super League. Um, you know, at BN Sports, we're focused on so many different leagues and now also so covering Major League Soccer, I didn't get to watch as much Liga Nage as I would have liked to. Obviously, as a Spartan fan, I watch every Spartan game. But apart from that, I really didn't get to enjoy the Portuguese League this past season as I had done in the past. Um, and so I'm interested to see how all of these players not only play together, but if there were shouts for, for ones that, just as you highlighted, uh, perhaps should have been given the nod. But this is always going to happen when you have so much talent. I guess it's a good problem for Huijarge and Fernand Sanch to have when you have so much to kind of make those picks. It is a good problem to have. As we say in Spanish, a rompecabezas, right? But um, <laughs> still, it's it's... I'm I'm not sure what the Portuguese term for that is, honestly. <laughs> you probably know better than I do. But um, anyways, I know that you haven't been able to watch as much Portuguese football as you would have liked to. Hopefully, you know, we'll we'll see. Maybe if Bian gets the rights to Liga Noche, maybe that'll change next season. Keep but keep putting it out into the universe, Sam. Keep I will, putting it out there. I, I will keep on sending <laughs> that positive energy. Manifest it. That's the only thing that's going to make this happen. (laughs) This is is my dream. But anyways, I'm not sure if you got to check out the Tasa de Portugal final uh, while covering such two crazy title races. But final game of the Portuguese season, quote unquote, there is, of course, there is, of course, plenty more action coming up with Portugal's Euros, but the final match of, shall we say, the the top flight season in terms of the Taça de Portugal final between Braga and Benfica. Braga obviously getting past Porto 
uh, at the previous round of this fight playing with 10 men, whereas Benfica going past Storil to get to the final. So yeah, really the kind of the last hurrah of a crazy Portuguese season. Uh, I should also point out that Aruca are playing Av in the relegation promotion uh, final today. Um, so not quite the end, but a, a good a good way to end a crazy Portuguese season. So it was an interesting final. Benfica going down to 10 men early on with Helton Leitch being sent off for a last man foul on Abel Ruiz. So Braga, you know, taking the initiative with, with Benfica going down to 10 men and Vlacho Dimos coming in in goal to replace Helton Leitch. Braga, you know, pounding away and finally got a goal right before halftime uh, in the form of Lucas Piazon. Remember that name, Chelsea fans? Shipping <laughs> Vlacho Dimos from, I think it was like 30 yards out. Pretty, pretty crazy goal. And Braga definitely had the better share of chances in the second half. And uh, they finally ended up winning 2 nothing via goal from Ricardo Horta. Benfica going to, down to, to nine men eventually uh, with a bit of a scuffle. So I, I'm not sure if you saw the game, but it, it kind of ends what has been a fairly disappointing season for Benfica. And as for Braga, you know, they, they have kind of gone down in form somewhat. But this is definitely a very nice end to their season. And I think a sign that they can push on under Carlos Carvalhal. Yeah, we totally agree with you. Um, as a Spartan fan, I was thrilled uh, at the result <laughs> of a Taça de Portugal. Um, Spartan ends our unbeaten streak. And you know what? They deserve to lose that final. So uh, thrilled, speaking purely as a Spartanista. But I think you're spot on. Um, I think that you know, a Braga obviously ending the season in fourth is a bit of a disappointment for them, uh, especially taking into account that kind of upward trajectory that I think they were on. Uh, but winning the Taça of Portugal definitely saves their season uh, to an extent. And I think it was a very disappointing season for Benfica, especially taking into account all of the hype that surrounded the team last summer. I mean, there was a lot of mega money transfers uh, that Benfica brought in. Uh, and especially when you look at the numbers, you know, Sparting, I think, spent. 30, 25, 30 mil and Benfica were over a hundred. I mean, so in terms of money spent with return, uh, you have to be disappointed uh, if you're a Benfica and you have to be thrilled if you're a Spartan fan. And I think there's definitely a lot to look forward to uh, for Braga fans out there. Definitely. I mean, Benfica, they were without uh, Lucas Verissimo, who uh, had to pull out of the Brazil squad, unfortunately, due to injury. Uh, Morato in his place. But still, I, you got to think that Benfica needs to be doing better here. And after spending so much money, questions are going to be asked of George Jesus, as well as Luis Felipe Vieira. And yeah, I never want to criticize teams for investing and, and spending big on promising young players like Darwin Nunes, like Gianluca Waldschmidt. But I got to say, the more time passes, I just think Benfica would have been better off just putting a blank check in front of Edinson Cavani and saying, uh, yeah, write whatever amount you want and let's, let's win this thing. Because <laughs> Cavani, of course, came close to joining uh, Benfica in the summer, but uh, deal couldn't 
end up happening due to wage constraints. Um, and Benfica actually came close to signing Meritaremi, who arguably the best center forward in Portugal this season and who ended up joining Porto instead for not for, I believe, eight million or six million, not not that much of money. So either of those guys, I think, might have been better options than Darwin or Waldschmidt. We'll see if they can turn it around. But overall, in terms of the players, in terms of the coach, it hasn't been a great season for Benfica. Uh, just asking, because I, I know that you as a sporting fan have had these kinds of seasons. Would you rather finish third without a trophy or fourth with a trophy fourth with a trophy <laughs> would, you, would you be saying that the sporting if, fan would you who, be saying that if Benfica finished finished fourth and won the trophy or no <laughs> well I don't know I'm just speaking purely as a sporting fan who you know trophies are so hard to come by over the past <laughs> two decades that um I'll take a trophy any day but I, I mean but th- I mean when you look at the table, and obviously what you're referring to is the, the places in, in European competition. I think it was a huge blessing in disguise that, that Sporting didn't have to balance those two for very long this season. Because, I mean, I don't know if we would have been able, with the youth that we had, been able to balance both as efficiently and, and performed as well as we did in the league had we had to be competing on 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 those two fronts so in a way it can be a blessing in disguise as speaking as a Spartan fan I'd say fourth with the trophy okay, <laughs> to answer <enough>. your question <laughs> yeah but at, at the end of the day you know this is just an incredible season for sporting you know getting getting the title ending the trophy drought they may end up selling uh, one or two players but overall I think they're in a better economic position than Lille. Uh, I think that they will end up keeping a, a greater percentage of their players than Lille will. Um, so, you know, we will see what happens with that. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I think we're okay for this upcoming season. I mean, it's obviously huge that Ruben Amori has already said that he's going to stay on. Uh, you have a huge young prospects, you know, uh, Nuno Menj, obviously, Pedro Gonçalves, Porte. I think that because Sporting has made their price tag so high and they are so young, that we'll be okay for this upcoming season. But then we also have to take into account their performances in the Euro because it wouldn't be the first time that a young Portuguese prospect blasts out and kind of has a a smashing Euro performance and then the market goes crazy and everyone wants them. So we'll see how it all unfolds. But I think you're spot on in that. um, I'm excited to see Sporting in the Champions League. I'm excited to see what Ruben Amorim does um, in his second complete season. Obviously his third, he came towards the tail end of last season. But it's an exciting time. I said earlier in the show, it's an exciting time to be – a Portuguese fan, but it's also a really exciting time to be a Sporting fan because there's a lot of talented young players that are working their way up. And and I think this is the beginning of uh, another golden generation, similar to what we saw, you know, years ago. Definitely. 